Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we are recording episode 78 and it's another one of our author spotlight episodes and we're going to be talking to Julie Higgins. So hi Julie, welcome to the show. Hello everybody, thank you for inviting me along. Uh, So before we jump into the interview, I thought I'd just give a quick little explanation. So you can probably tell that I'm here without Sarah today. Um, She's on maternity leave. Uh, I'll let her fill you in about her baby and everything so I know everyone's probably wondering what's happening with that so it's just me Uh, and I also apologize if my voice gets a bit crackly I had COVID last week and I'm still uh, my voice is a bit fragile at times but we are going to push ahead anyways so we are here today as I said with Julie Higgins she is a mystery and thriller writer from Salisbury in the UK and she released her debut novel in 2019, which is entitled Finding Ruby, a Nell Montague mystery. Did I say the name right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Did. excellent. Um, and she's currently working on the sequel, which uh, she says is a spooky Christmas mystery. And I love the sound of that. <laughs> Holiday mysteries always sound like a really good time. So just welcome, Julie. And it's really great to have you on today. Thank you very much. I'm surprised um, to hear I wasn't the only one with COVID last week then. Oh. So my voice is a bit cracky as well. So <laughs> yes, that seems like half the world had COVID last week. Oh, so, no, um, that's... <laughs> Are you recovering okay? Yeah, getting there. Getting there slowly. It's yep. um, yeah, it's not brilliant, is it? But no, mind. it's not. <laughs> Su- surprisingly, um, surprisingly tough, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with a question we like to ask all of the authors that come on this interview series. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you first got started writing and what kind of made you decide to pursue it more seriously and think about actually, you know, publishing something. It really started as a child. I know everybody says that, that they loved reading books, but mostly it started when I was very young at school a very small primary school and at the end of the day we all got together from age about four right up to 11 and our headmistress used to read to us and so from an early age I got into the idea of stories and I'd be transported to a completely different place so I loved that idea of escapism so of course naturally I then wanted to write my own stories and different things would happen I'd be watching a program and think I don't like the ending or some of the in I'd be interested in some of the sub characters or I want to know more about them so I'd start creating stories in my head or I'd visit somewhere and yeah, you know just in my mind I'd start creating ideas and people I'd see I used to love going to, I'm a come from Salisbury I mean it's such a historical city so, you know, this history all around us here. So I was always, always writing in my head. I took it a lot more seriously, I think, in my 20s. I began to write short stories and put mm-hmm. them over competitions. And that was really good because I began to learn my craft. And that sounds really writery, but um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I know what you've you got, mean, uh, though. You've got a word limit, haven't you? So you start writing a story and then you have to start cutting it in, shrinking it 
you know, is it one word you need where you've actually used about six and you have to start really choosing your words very, very carefully. But the idea of finding Ruby came, well, I, I hit a big birthday and it was on my bucket list to always write a book. So I decided that was it, I was gonna write one. But I'm probably jumping ahead to other questions here. <laughs> That's all good. I, oh yeah, I'm sort of waffling now. <laughs> um, but I did a, a correspondence course on how to write a novel. And you were given you know, a lesson on points of view, how to use your five senses, how to, how to write. And then you had to put your first chapter in, your second chapter in, and it was critiqued. Um, so that gave, yeah, it was really good, actually. It was such a good way to learn. And it took me 10 years to write Finding Ruby because I kept fiddling with it and losing my nerve. Totally know that oh, feeling. Doesn't everybody know that feeling? But I think you just get to the stage when you think, I think this is quite good, actually. But even if it isn't, I'm going to publish it anyway. And that felt really good. To, I hit another big birthday and I thought, right, it's, it's going to get published. It's going to be done. And now it's time. I, I know. You, I think you just get to that stage when you think, I don't care anymore what people think. It's my book. It's my story. and I'm going to get it out there. And whatever happens, happens. So, so yeah, that's really how Finding Ruby came to be. I love that attitude. You know, the, you know, it's time now. We're going to just do it. Like I've been working on it long enough. Um, and I totally yeah. get that feeling as well. Sarah and I had a similar thing with our book. We started writing it when we were, you know, teenagers a long, long time ago. And then, you know, it comes, you leave it for a while and you look back and you're like, wow, I need to start rewriting, you know, rewriting yeah. and you start cutting and you start editing. And then a couple of years later, you're like, all right, I, we need to do something with this now. Like this has gone on for far too long. It is yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. It's really strange. Um, last year, I did a fire walk for charity. And I could remember, you know, walking on burning coals. Oh, my and all gosh. That. You I mean, know. like an actual and, fire walk? Oh, yeah. It was really burning oh, wow. coals. It was, it was for the Salisbury Hospice. And I can remember he said, there is no trick to this. There is no, I'm not going to teach you any magic here. He said, you are going to be walking on burning coals with your bare feet. He said, there's just a few things you've got to do. And it's about mindset. He said, before you do it, you have to take a deep breath to oxygenate yourself and then commit and say, I am going to walk. And he said, start walking and keep going. And it is just mindset, mind over matter. And that's true with so many things, though. You know, you start writing a book, you start worrying, oh, it's rubbish. No one's ever going to read it. I'm not as good as everybody. Else. All of that. And then you suddenly think, do you know what? I am going to commit this. I am going to publish it, right or wrong, good or bad. It's going out there. I am going to publish it. And I think it's just really important at some stage to think, you know, let's just bite that bullet. Let's just walk on those coals. Let's just publish that book. Let's get it out there. And then see what happens. Definitely. I'm still getting over the fact that you walked on coals. <laughs> Sorry. It's not too bad, actually. Really? You just... You've just got to make sure you don't walk too slowly. That's the thing. There's a lot of science behind it, which is really interesting, actually. But oh I won't talk about that now. But you have, to, and I'm quite flat-footed as well, which I think helped. But you just have to walk quite swiftly. And then at the end, there's some sort of like wet mats that you put your feet on. But yeah, it feels like just walking on quite sharp gravel or something. Oh. And it's amazing. It's, it's really exciting. Oh my goodness. It's definitely worth it. 
chance. What what was the motivation behind deciding to walk on coals? Like, it's not even something I've ever seen as an opportunity. Well, Salisbury Hospice. So I work at Salisbury Hospital okay. and the hospice is just next door to us. And they were celebrating, I think it was 40 years. So they wanted to do a fundraiser. But, you know, everybody does walks and, you know, they do all the usual things. So they wanted to do something exciting and a bit different. And they decided on fire walking. And, you know, I love fire. That's exciting. It was um, last May and it was in front of the Guild Hall in Salisbury. And literally it was at dusk. So we had to watch the fire being lit. And then we had to have training for 20 minutes or something, by which time we came out of the Guild Hall, very nervous. The crowds had gathered. The coals had then really, they were glowing into the night sky. It was so beautiful. And I said, I don't want to go first, but I certainly can't go last. I have to be one of the first few, otherwise I'll lose my nerve. And it was brilliant. Yeah. So you walk on coals and then I had to do it again because I did the first time in such a blur and then I said, I've got to do it again. So yeah. Like I have to really pretty, remember this. Absolutely. But it was really good. And the hospice raised so much money for charity. So, you know, it was a great thing to do. You're going to have to use that for inspiration in one of your novels now. You can put some real colour in it. Maybe, maybe I will. That's not a bad idea. Um, so you briefly mentioned the novel writing course that you took. I was wondering yeah. if you could elaborate on that a little bit and maybe if there was any other resources that you have used that have helped you get better as a writer. I think when I was in my 20s and I began to take writing a little bit more seriously, I did a local course at my college, just night school on creative writing. And that was really good. I mean, some of the writing that we did wasn't really to my style, but it was great to sort of to learn some different techniques. And so I really did enjoy doing that. One of the scary things we had to do, though, was read out our homework. Yeah, so (laughs) we were all pretty rubbish at that. But I was amazed when I was reading it out sometimes to see the reactions I got from people. And some of them really did start looking quite chilled. And yeah, it, it was quite amazing for the first time people were listening to my work. But also afterwards, the teacher, I think it was only about 10 lessons or something. But the teacher said, you're so lucky you've already got your voice. And I said, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then she said... I I didn't. And she said, I could pick up anybody's writing from about 100 different writers. But she said, I'd know which was yours because of your style. That's a wonderful compliment. That was just lucky. You know, that was just the way I wrote. So that gave me some confidence. When I started writing Mind and Ruby, the correspondence course I had was through London School of Journalism. And it was their novel writing course. I needed that discipline. Um, I needed, you know, this is lesson one. We are learning this. You must do your homework and then send in a chapter based on the homework. We will critique it. And I needed that. Mm -hmm. And I was so lucky because the mentor I was given was Sue Moorcroft, who is a romance writer. Now, at the time, she was well known, but she's really well known now. And... I remember thinking, why are you putting me with a romance writer? And then I read one of her books 
And yes, it is romance, but she, one of her books, she describes how somebody is in a helicopter. And she described the breaking of their fingers. And I thought, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I understand yep. now. <clears throat> now I know why they put to you with me. But that really helped. So that got me through the first draft of Finding Ruby. And then, of course, you realize you've just written the first draft. So that gives you a lot of confidence. So, yeah, that's really what got me there. And I wasn't so much worried about how long it would take. I just thought, get it done. And then I realized there was a massive flaw all the way through it. And I just kept fiddling with it. You do, though, don't you? Because you don't know what you're doing. And then you keep fiddling. And then in the end, you just think enough. Stop. (laughs) Get it out there. Yeah, you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. You're, there's always something that you can tinker with or tweak or a new plot hole that you find and you're like oh my gosh how many of these are there I feel like it's never ending anybody else notice will <laughs> I get away with it <laughs> or do I plug it yeah <laughs> absolutely did you find I've never taken a writing course so I was just wondering if you found that you made like significant steps of progress going through it that you were able to you know actually like tangible steps I think because I knew nothing, one of the most important things I learned was point of view. I didn't know that really in one, not so much paragraph, but chapter, it is best to stay with one person's point of view and not keep swapping around. I didn't know that, didn't know anything. So that was good to have that pointed out to me. You know, I was taught to use all your five senses. So it's not just what you're hearing. but what can you smell? And, you know, that's quite interesting. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm writing, you know, I'll just go for a walk sometimes or if I'm in a meeting at work or something and I'll just think, right, just stop a minute and think five senses. What can I actually hear? What can I smell? You know, there's all sorts of different things. You know, I'm drinking coffee, but what else can I taste? And I'm trying to tap into those five senses all the time. And sometimes I do like to do things that are a little bit scary. And I think, you know, don't be a cliche. What is happening here? What is, you know, what do you really feel? So I've been on a few ghost hunts. Um, oh my gosh, fun. Oh, they are so much fun. Um, and I'm, in fact, in the book I'm writing now, which is the sequel to Finding Ruby, I went on to a local one in Salisbury. I've been on a few local ones in Salisbury. And they're great because if anyone's not been on one, they're not what you think. They're very scientific. It's lots and lots of technical kit to use. And nobody tends to be all, oh, I can hear something. Can you hear something? Nobody's shouting and crying and screaming and jumping. It's all just very, very scientific. And I thought if I hadn't been on one, I wouldn't have known that. But, you know, experience in the paranormal or your imagination or whatever it is, you know, it's amazing how many times you smell things and you think, is that real? Is that coming from outside? Can anybody else smell that? And, you know, you can experience the paranormal in really weird ways, like smelling herbs, cigar smoke. And, you know, it's just easy to say, can, can anybody smell anything? And if everyone says, no, I can't smell anything, you say, well, I can smell herbs. I can smell soot from a chimney. Can anybody else smell cigar smoke? It's quite interesting. But again, I think that's something I did learn from the course to use all my five senses and use them to describe that's a really good tip I think I sometimes 
forget a little bit about the five senses on occasion. <laughs> I'm usually pretty good with like the, the the seeing, smelling, and hearing, but I often forget like what things feel like. Um, so sometimes I have to go back. It's usually one in, in my editing process, you know, going back and then trying to flesh those little bits out. I think it's a great tip. Finding Ruby, actually, one of the exercises we get were given was to do with taste. And I kept it in Finding Ruby. It's to do when, when she's just um, trying to remember the taste of fish and chips. And I go into great, I mean, it makes everybody feel really hungry, which I think is an amazing <laughs> compliment when they read it. It's all about, you know, the, the soggy chips and the vinegar and the soggy batter and the, oh, just, yeah, I'm feeling hungry now thinking about it. <laughs> but that was fun. That was really fun to write. Um, so well, the next question I wanted to ask you about was how you juggle your work, because you said you work for at the hospital, um, yeah. how you manage to juggle that with writing, because I can imagine that could be quite a demanding job. Yeah, I'm not clinical. I'm working audit. So my day job is data spreadsheets you know facts and figures percentages I think you just have to be quite disciplined and understand that writing isn't always about sitting in front of the computer and typing so you know I don't have the luxury of writing when I'm inspired I have to do it when I can so you know I've always got a notebook on me if if I can, I make notes on my phone. I've been known if I take a quick walk at lunchtime, maybe use my phone as a dictator and just come out with a few things. But yeah, my bag is full of scraps of paper with illegible <laughs> writing on it. I've got loads of files on my phone with just bits and pieces. I find driving to work is quite a good time very often because when you're stuck in traffic and you start looking around you, it's quite inspiring. But I've got to say... I think you just have to start getting ideas down. And I've got to confess in the last four months, I have written at least two hours a day. I get home from work, so I'm still in work mode, still got my work clothes on. I get in, I make some tea, laptop is on, headphones are on, and I start listening to music and just get on with it. And if after about an hour, I have started writing rubbish, I think, okay, is there a bit I can edit that I've written before? But I mean, I don't write every day. I do sometimes. When you're on I a roll. You, when you're on a roll, yeah, because you, you can't leave it too long. Otherwise, you start losing the gist of everything. Yep. You find you have to keep reading through what you wrote before to try and work out what you were talking about. But I think even if it's only a quarter of an hour, try and do something every day if you can. I've been, I've fallen a bit behind on my writing recently. Just been... Yes, but I'm like, no, I've got a long Easter break coming up, you know, nothing, yeah. nothing on. I'm, I'm going to get some writing done. I need to find, you know, it's not That's like there's it. a spark, but there's something that clicks, you know, when you're in a in the groove and can, you know, be actually really productive. So hopefully over the next few days, I can find that again. But I envy your ability to write for two hours a day recently. You must be quite uh. inspired at the moment. Well, saying that, obviously, having COVID, um, there was no writing going no. on because there was too much sneezing and feeling terrible coughing and feeling terrible and being, yeah, just my face was scarlet. My eyes were swollen. <laughs> couldn't see anything. 
didn't I couldn't even read so I um, couldn't yeah. read either I just lay there I was like yeah. I'm so such a useless person right now just <laughs> my husband had it too I was really grateful well not that you want someone to have COVID but at least I had someone to suffer with you know so we, we could both yeah. be useless together <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it's much better I, I thought I'd escaped it um but yeah I think people who haven't had it in the last two years are beginning to get it now. Um, I am so careful. You know, I've still masked, um, hand gelled. At work, we're really strict. You know, we keep our distance. Everyone wears masks. I mean, obviously, it's a hospital, so it's been instilled. And it's second nature now, but I think it's only a matter of time. So, yeah. Yeah, I felt the same way. I thought I'd <laughs> escaped it too because I went through my family not like my my parents and my sister who live not with me but like I'd been around and I didn't get it a couple yeah. weeks had passed and I was like somehow I've escaped and then bam and I was like no oh, oh well it's okay <clears throat> we're both getting on the other side of it so that's yeah. good I did want to talk a little bit about your writing process first whether you're um, a plotter or a pantser but I'm also curious about how you go about writing a mystery because I love reading them but I can never imagine like the mechanics that go into writing one yeah um, so I was just a little bit curious about that as well if you'd be willing to share a little bit absolutely I don't know whether this is the way it should be done that's okay I'm sure I'm sure it isn't the way that it should be done this is my way I would love to be a plotter that doesn't work for me really <laughs> I'm it's quite, I mean, the book I have just, I've just finished reading the sequel, I'm finished writing the sequel now. So I, it was good because a lot of the characters were the same, but I start with characters. What, what are they wanting? What's wrong? What, what scares them? What journey are they going to go on? So I'm very character driven. And then I start thinking about what I want to go wrong for them. And then I sort of have a plot. Then I abandon it. I get inspired by things with Ruby not far away from where I live literally a 10 minute walk away is an abandoned asylum and you know rambling buildings and and not far from that there is a very old Victorian building that used to be a children's home so you know I love architecture um and it always fascinated me. It was always a big, depressing, scary looking place, but full of grandeur, um, beautiful fountain, all sorts of things. But, you know, it's on my doorstep, these beautiful old buildings. So they inspired me. So I was writing Finding Ruby. I had an idea of what I wanted. And then I completely get distracted and start writing scenes. Once I've got my characters in my head, I want them to become very real. And sometimes I start hearing their dialogue. I can hear their voices. I can hear what they're saying. That sounds really mad. Um, yeah. Not too mad. I think it, I think some people do experience that. Yeah. I don't necessarily hear their voices, but I'll often like, you know, in everyday life, I'll be like, oh, you know, you've reminded me of this character I heard and see them like yeah. doing something in that situation. And, and that's what I used to do. I'd try and imagine, almost sort of try to imagine each of my characters and say, okay, they're, they're in a supermarket. What would they be looking at? What would they buy? What would they like to eat? How would they answer that question? So I try to get into my characters' heads and I start writing dialogue, things that inspire me. 
I'm a big daydreamer. I also dream quite vividly. So sometimes I dream something and think, oh, that's, that, could that fit in? Let's write that out. Let's try it and see whether that's something that could fit in. So I end up with all of these bits of writing, chapters, bits of dialogue, scenes. And then I go back to my, my plot and try and see which ones I'm going to keep and try and sew them in. It's really chaotic. It's I was about to say that's, a, that's oh. one of the most interesting processes we've had on this it's not interview good. series. Oh, it's it's not the way you should do it. Um, but if it works it's almost, for you. Well, it takes <laughs> a long time. You literally end up with all these bits and I have to title them. So, for instance, there was a bit with Ruby. I won't talk too much about it in case someone hasn't read it, but I'm always, I'm always sort of interested in creepy things. Like I had a big thing of what is creepy? The cow, you know, and I had all the things like, um, oh, just a crying baby doll just left on the stairs. Just staircases, I think, are scary. What else is scary? Mirrors. Um, but I wrote a lot. Ruby, oh, I'm not going to say too much about it. I don't want to spoil it. But I try to imagine a lot about being locked in a room. Um, and try to imagine being locked in a room in darkness. Um, when I, as a child, I read a lot of historical novels. And, you know, they talk about something called an oubliette, which is a bottle-shaped dungeon where someone was basically just dropped down there. And the, you know, the entrance sealed <laughs> over and they were left in the dark. And that was the end of them to be forgotten. And that's horrific, isn't it? So a lot of Finding Ruby is people being, you know, locked and forgotten. And I wrote a lot of different things to do with that. And most of them ended up in the book. So when the book I've just, the sequel I've just finished now, um, I did try to be a bit more organized. I did have a bit more of a plot. Um, and then I just started writing different squares that had to be sewn together. And I ended up with a lot at the end and I read through and thought, is any of this good? All the surplus material, is it gonna go in the book or is it gonna be cut? Some of it did get fitted in and some didn't. A lot of chapters got moved around. Scenes I'd written, I thought, who's, who does that belong to? Is it Nell or is that someone else? It's really not the best way to write, but it is very creative and it's a lot more fun. I was going to say, so it does don't... sound really fun. Stuck on something because if you, you know, you're writing something, you think, I'm not feeling it. You think, never mind, let's get to the exciting bit like that <laughs> and then we'll come back to it. So, yeah, it is a lot more fun. And it sounds a little bit like a puzzle as well when you piece it together at the end, which kind of fits with the mystery theme amusingly as well. Oh, yes, you asked about that and I haven't answered it. Um, oh, it's okay. What you have to do is you have to, obviously, you know all the answers, but you don't want your characters to know. You kind of want the reader to start guessing or think they've guessed. So it's that balancing act. So once you know, you have to start dropping clues and they have to be incredibly subtle because you want the reader to be reading along and they suddenly think, hang on a minute, that's interesting. Or maybe miss it entirely, go to something else and then pick it up and think, 
hang on, I think we're supposed to know something about this. And they realize they've already read it. So you do, and very often you will write the first draft and the second draft you go back over and you start scattering your clues very, very subtly. Might be a few little red herons in there as well, but you do drop them so, so subtly. And it's almost like you start layering up. So your first mm -hmm. draft is done and then you go back over and you put an extra layer on and it starts building, building, building so that if people notice it, the clues are there. So that's how I do it. Um, that sounds, and it seems to work. It sounds good. I think I like the idea of putting it in in the second draft because I can imagine trying to, like, especially your first drafts sound chaotic, but even we plot quite extensively, but even our first drafts are still fairly, like, you know, they change quite a lot and it's, you know, you're trying to fit all the stuff in and you could easily just skip over or do it you know, terribly. So I like the idea of going back in the second draft and sprinkling all the interesting bits in there. I think the most horrific things can sometimes just be the simplest things. And I think I learned that sometimes from watching, watching thrillers, but also watching a lot of um, science fiction sometimes, watching some young adult science fiction you know, it's just some of it's just so simple. And you think, well, yeah, actually, that is quite realistic. So, yeah, that's, that I sometimes think I come up with this clever idea. And then I think, no, just make it more simple, change it. And then, of course, you've got to pick up, you've got to hoover up all your clues. And then you have to put down new ones. So, yeah, you must, don't make it easy. <laughs> that must be, he must end up with quite a few... Um potholes and contradictions oh, that yeah. way <laughs> yeah I could never absolutely end yeah don't write a novel like me <laughs> there are simpler ways <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your publishing journey for getting um, finding Ruby published because it was my first one and when I first started writing indie writers weren't very well known to be honest there were still the proper writers are traditionally published. Everybody else is vanity publishing. There was still that sort of stigma around. The indie authors weren't that well known. Um, so it was great when I was beginning to finish the book and I thought things have changed. My knowledge is old, it's wrong. Company at a history festival actually, who specialized in helping indie authors get published. So rather than have to go out, find your copy editor, your proofreader, buying your ISBN, getting your cover designed, all of that stuff, they will do it for you, but you pay them up front. So, but they're very, they will only take people they think and make them look good. Right. So, so that kind of made me feel that it wasn't vanity publishing because mm -hmm. they said, you do have to be good yeah. um, otherwise we do not want our name on your book so that helped um, but it meant that I learned a lot that I wouldn't have known otherwise and they were a great company they really did guide me and they pushed me and made sure for instance when they wanted to know about the cover they asked me to give some ideas mm -hmm. and they decided that all my ideas were a bit rubbish which they were <laughs> and ignored them 
and their designer came up with something else amazing the only thing they listened to was I said I, I want it to be like a photo it's got to be creepy and I want finding ruby in red and that's you know it looks great love it they were really helpful so I'm really glad for the first one I did use them but with the second one the sequel which will be called a long time burning a um, long time it, burning oh yeah that's a great oh, yeah. title I love it oh um it's going to be all myself I'm gonna do it by myself so I've got to find a copy editor a proofreader and get the cover designed so but I've got a little bit more confidence now I think You've been through it for through it once now as well. So I guess you I know so. a bit more than when you first started out, which will be yeah. really helpful. I think that really does help, does give you the confidence to do it again. So yeah. I I find those companies that that you were talking about, they sound really interesting because it kind of is like there's still a not necessarily a gatekeeper, but there is someone there like filtering them out, which I like the idea of rather than yeah as you said the vanity presses and I love I love the idea that they said you know you have to send in your first few chapters and they will decide whether they want to work with you and and it's for instance you know they say it does need a copy edit you do need to have a proofread they don't want it published without those things because it's their name on it but they're also there to support you as well in Finding Ruby, I did have a lot of song lyrics in there. So they had to point me to the, in the direction of the fact that I might get myself in trouble using these <laughs> song yes. lyrics. I wouldn't have known that. So, you know, they do guide you and That's helpful. They, they want it to be the best thing it can be. You have to work with them. But again, yeah. they'll only take you if they think they can make some money from you, you know, that because they'll they'll act as your agent they'll get a percentage and you know they, they put their name on it so mm-hmm. yeah was it a nervous wait to see whether they would take you on yeah. well it's it's like a long time burning has gone out to beta readers now and that's horrible isn't it <laughs> you know your baby's out there yeah you think please you know what have I done what have I missed but um but yeah you've got to do that haven't you yeah um, and see what people think you know what have you missed <laughs> so um yeah putting the the for each even though like you've done it once before I feel like putting it the second one out there again you're kind of like oh there's still that nervousness for people to see it for the first time right yeah absolutely definitely a long time burning is is more of a mystery um it is more of a spooky mystery but there are a few things in there that um, might be controversial same with finding ruby you know it's not for everybody's taste it is a thriller. There is some violence in there. Um, I did a lot of research on it. Um, and again, some of the reviews I had, people said that I do handle some quite strong subject matters. I do it sensitively. Yeah. Um, I'm always aware of the reader. I want, to, I want the reader to be only able to go as far as their own experience will take them. So it's not too graphic. Mm-hmm. But obviously, um, somebody who's in the police or an A&E nurse will go a lot further than somebody, for instance, who's maybe 18 years old. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not for children, but I wanted to be quite subtle with it. But, um, but yeah, it's in there. It's a tough balance sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. 
when you have some of those subjects because you also don't want to not address them because then it kind of takes away some of the authenticity from your novel so it's hard to figure out where to draw that line yeah and it's like using swear words oh I had to hoover up an awful lot of swear words <laughs> from finding Ruby yeah and I decided which of my characters swear which ones don't and there is a couple of scenes in there where it does get quite extreme but I thought if I don't use it it's not real it's not it's got to be shocking because some of the subject matter I describe is really shocking and I mm -hmm. thought it's got to be real it's got to be authentic it's got to be authentic otherwise I'm just you know I'm doing a disservice to people you know if we're going to do it let's do it properly and yeah. let's let's use the words that are used and yes it is shocking but it's a you know it is a bad sh shocking subject That's what it is a it is a thriller so well absolutely. mystery thriller so you have to expect some you know absolutely. controversial topics to crop up yeah I think so but but yeah I think I've done it justice so so since we've talked quite a bit about Finding Ruby, would you like to give us a little, a little blurb or tell us a little bit more about it? Absolutely. So it is a mystery thriller and it's got a paranormal twist to it. All fun. And, oh, yeah. And it, it's, the protagonist is Nell Montague. And when she was seven years old, she saw something that she couldn't understand at the time. She saw it on Halloween night but it's haunted her ever since. She's a vivid dreamer, so she's had some horrific nightmares concerning it, but again, she's never ever been able to really deal with it. But what she saw involved a little girl called Ruby, who then went missing and was never seen again. Now, I won't go into it too much, but 23 years later, another 13-year-old girl, Emily, goes missing and it triggers the nightmares again in Nell. And she realizes that she can actually help find Emily, but to do so, she's got to go back. She's got to go back to see what she actually saw all those years ago, because if she wants to find Emily, she's got to first find Ruby and she's got to face some traumatic periods of her life. And she's got to face her demons, literally. So it is looking at her story of how she goes back over childhood trauma she faces the demons she becomes brave and she tries to find ruby and emily and find out what she actually saw all those years ago and i say it's got a paranormal twist to it because she's a vivid dreamer but her dreams begin to start coming into her waking hours as well so she realizes that they're not just nightmares. Something else is going on here. I love the premise. I really love the premise. It sounds so, so exciting. I always like mysteries that have the, um, you know, something happened this many years before and then it's linked to the one that's happened now. I always find those, those are the types of mystery novels that I really like. So that sounds very good. Exciting. Thank you. And it's quite a short novel. There's some short chapters in there. It's quite punchy. A lot of people said that they don't usually read, you know, but they found Finding Ruby was actually quite easy to read. I did write the book for 
those people who just don't have time to sit down and read all day, they're going to pick it up in their lunch break, on the bus, on the tube. It's a book you can pick up and put back down again. But then some people have said they've been up all night reading it. So there we go. I was about to say, I don't know if I started reading that book, if it would be one I could just put down. (laughs) Possibly not. (laughs) (laughs) So what have some of your biggest challenges been? Um, Either writing, finding Ruby, or just generally as you've embarked on publishing for the first time? Oh, this is something that's going to resonate with so many people. Imposter syndrome oh yes oh yeah everyone's friend Um, absolutely everyone's friend that little voice I don't know where it starts from I wonder if it starts when we're children and we start to write our stories and then somebody says oh that's a load of rubbish and you know when you're writing it's personal it's a bit of your soul you're sharing with people and if you try to write honestly and how can I put this if you, if you write as if no one is ever going to read it and you really go to those places, those dark places, and, you know, you lay yourself bare, that's really scary, you know? That's so scary. But how, why else would you write? If you, you know, if you're not going to write and be that vulnerable and that honest, why write in the first place? You know, you, if you're going to do it, do it properly and release that little Definitely. bit of your soul get it out there and you know just be very very true but yeah you sometimes are it's just that feeling of is it good enough it comes in moments like for me it's not all the time it's just yeah every now and then you're suddenly something will come up and you're like oh okay yeah is this am I in the right place like is this do I fit in here it's so strange though but I've got to say I won Page Turner Awards last October, and that really did help a lot. Congratulations. Thought, yeah, that was amazing. So the book, Finding Ruby at some stage, not sure where, turned into an audiobook. So that is my prize, which will be absolutely amazing. That's so um, exciting. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. I mean, the competition was incredible. So, um, yeah, it was really worth doing. And actually, I'd say putting yourself in for competitions is is a good idea because you know not everyone's going to win but if you get um, on the long list or the short list it it does make you feel actually I am valid I am a good writer Mm -hmm. but I think also just remembering you know not everyone's going to like your book that doesn't mean it's rubbish that means they just don't like it and you know look at yourself you everyone goes on about this book is so amazing or this film is so incredible and all this piece of music and then you listen watch read and you think okay yeah not <laughs> you <for> think me. that <laughs> you think that but that doesn't mean that you're right or that you're wrong you know you you shouldn't be writing to please everybody you should be writing to be true to yourself because your people your readers will feel like you've written it just for them and the people that aren't your people won't enjoy it so you know but you know know what you're doing stop trying to please everybody no I mean I write a genre I like thrillers mysteries paranormal I'm not going to try romance or anything (laughs) like that um but you know know who your readers are yeah and then write for yourself and your people your readers will find you and they will love it and I think that's a wonderful 
it's a wonderful wonderful thing to keep in mind I think it's going to help a lot of a lot of writers out there because sometimes you just need that reminder yeah I think that's just it you know maybe somebody out there is writing and they're thinking I'm never going to share this because nobody will get it they're all going to think I'm a complete weirdo and no way no way I can't take the rejection well never mind about everybody else what about those few people out there who are going to read it and think oh my goodness you you get me this is my book you've written this for me you're writing for them so write for them never mind about everybody else don't worry about the criticism they're just not your people that's okay but write what makes you happy and you know when you've written something good and it's true because you get that sort of shiver don't you know what I mean I do know you what get you mean that shiver and you think oh, wow that's that was really deep that was me that was good and write it and write for yourself your readers will find you great words of wisdom Julie thank you I'm just conscious of time a little bit so we've talked about finding ruby and we've yes. briefly mentioned the sequel a couple of times yes. um, so i don't know if you want to plug that and any other projects that you might have coming up in the future i will just plug one other thing actually go when for it i i'm obviously i'm right i've been writing the sequel to finding ruby which is a long time burning it is a christmas ghost story it does follow on from finding ruby it should be out hopefully november it's got to come out this year uh, maybe 31st of just, um, October. I quite like the idea of maybe it coming out on Halloween. Mm. But it is a Christmas ghost story. And again, I'm looking at horrors from the past that are still very relevant today. So, it, yeah, it's, I'm really pleased with it. It's proper spooky, creepy, but also there is a real modern twist to it as well. Mm. But when I was writing it, I just got really stuck at one point and I thought, okay, let's get our Christmas head on. And I wrote four short stories, all connected to do with Christmas. And I put them on Amazon. They're called Three Spells for Christmas. And it was kind of like stepping away for a minute because I got stuck with a long time burning. And I wrote three, um, sorry, there's, there's four short stories, all connected, all to do with Christmas spookiness. Mm. Um, got them out on Amazon and that was really useful because I sort of got my Christmas vibe on and then when I went back to a long time burning it went much smoother so I'd say if anybody's listening to this and you're thinking I don't know if J.A. Higgins is my sort of writer I don't know maybe check out three spells for Christmas have a little look and just see whether you think I'm your sort of writer or not a long time burning will be Christmas spook and it will be out this year. Amazing. It's very cool to have a holiday that you can link the book to as well. I just I'm kind of yeah. imagining all of your marketing opportunities coming into Christmas with a Christmas mystery. It seems perfect timing and just great. Um, so where can people find your books? Probably the easiest place to finding rubies on Amazon but it can be downloaded as well from iBooks. It's obviously available as an ebook, but also in paperback. And is, I think Finding Ruby should be just about everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have an author website or anything where people can be directed to your books? No, I don't. And I'm not very good on Facebook either. <laughs> I do have it. Well, I've never really got to hang the hang of it, <clears throat> but I am on Instagram. That's probably my main site and I do write 
um, I put a lot of posts on there about my writing process okay. and places that inspired me. So if anybody does read Finding Ruby and they want to know some of the things that scare me, which I put in the book and some of the places that have inspired me, some of the buildings in Salisbury that inspired Finding Ruby, it's all on Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, what's your Instagram handle if anyone's wanting to get in touch with you? Maybe they have some questions about your process or want to hear more about your books. So would you, what's your Instagram handle so people can get in contact with you if they're interested in, uh, you know, hearing any more about your books and maybe about your process? I'm Higgins underscore author. Excellent. Thank so you. we should probably round this up. I just really want to take the time to thank you again, Julie, for coming on the show. I think we've had a really interesting discussion. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground as well, which is always going to think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff people can get out of it. Thank you very much for inviting me along. It's been really lovely. No worries. So if you want to be on an author spotlight section, just like Julie has, you can head over to our website, lindasoncreations.com and hover your mouse over the podcast tab and there'll be an application to apply. And next time on Dear Writer, it's one of our talking shop episodes where we have a chat about some of the books that we're reading for fun and some of the books that will help us with our writing craft. And if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us on the aforementioned website, lindersoncreations.com, or you can get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Linderson Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Mm-hmm.